Hey there, listeners. It's Peter here with my brother, Philip, and my cousin, Mark. And um, Philip's actually in Paris right now, and I was I was actually really curious because um, right after Djokovic won Wimbledon, I just saw all these photos of France going crazy. And so, Philip, what was going on? Yeah, so uh, there were millions of people in the Champs-Élysées um, screaming, on a champion, on a champion. Uh, I think they just really, really love um, Djokovic because I think it's the way he like blows kisses to the crowd. Um, it's it's the French have just really warmed to him because of that. Yeah, and he's really good to ball boys, especially at the French Open. Yeah, yeah, like he played, uh, he rallied a few times with um, ball boys. Yeah, and like, but it was just unreal. Like the entire city of Paris like erupted. Like, there were millions of people on the Champs-Élysées. Like, around midnight, when I, like, got to the Champs-Élysées metro stop, like, riot police were throwing tear gas um, because people were just, like, just knocking down. Like, the Dior store boarded up its windows in anticipation of this. Like, uh, like the French just love Djokovic. Mark, do you have any explana- other explanations for why they love that or for why they love him so much? I think that um, the French were uh, were very close to the Archduke Ferdinand, who I believe um, you know was killed by the by the Serbian the Black Hand. I think a lot of it goes back to World War One, and then obviously with the huge Serbian population in in Paris in particular, a huge uh, Serbian population. Djokovic beat Croatia. I think that that was you know if he was playing against a different team. Um, Maybe if he was just playing against an individual, but the fact that he beat Croatia and scored a lot of points, like more, he actually, I think he scored an extra one. So he got, actually got four instead of three. So I think it was Yeah, yeah, this was his fourth Wimbledon. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I actually thought it was because he, um, he, uh, talked, he wears Lacoste. He insulted the English. Yeah, he wears, Le- I think it's now. wearing Lacoste. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, we got it. Um, Anyway, what happened with the English crowd too? Did he insult him also? So when he was playing Edmund in the third round, um, there were like five hooligans behind him who were like basically screaming whenever he was about to hit a shot, and he called out the crowd for for being like next level disrespectful. Which I honestly believe him. They probably were. Yeah, and I think he works in one of the newspapers. I think as a side gig, he may do some satire for for Charlie Hebdo. So I think it's just a lot of a lot of different reasons, but you know, mainly because nobody actually outside of France would buy Lacoste for any tennis related purposes until he started wearing it. And in fact, I think they always assume that Lacoste is what you put on after you won a Grand Slam. So the fact that he won it while playing a Grand Slam. Uh, wore it, sorry, while winning a Grand Slam all, all the above factors but yeah, I heard that the Djokovic party was crazy, I mean, made up for the fact that, I guess, the soccer was pretty disappointing for France so, you know, it gave him something to fall back on Yeah, uh, was there soccer this weekend? I, I really don't know um, I mean, I, in Belgium Belgium won some game against England but yeah, 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 that's what happened um Anyway, uh, so Wimbledon, uh, Mark, what what were some takeaways for you? Yeah, well, I, get, I get most of my updates from you guys, and uh, I found out you guys were pretty into the doll, which is cool. 
you know, I didn't, I didn't know that at all about you guys. So the fact that you've showed some enthusiasm for, for a guy who's basically a double specialist as evidenced by the Olympics. Um, and, uh, you know, prefers playing golf on grass. So it's good. I, I think that Wimbledon, uh, didn't go as expected. Most people were predicting, uh, Donald DeYoung against Jack Sock in the finals. <laughs> at least that was, at least in their families, that was pretty much the. I think that was the pre-qualifying <laughs> round expectation because Donald Young didn't qualify for the tournament. <laughs> right, right. Donald 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 the player who's having a worse year than Jack Sock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's there's some racism there. I mean, the English are a little racist. So that's probably why he didn't make it through the qualifiers. But uh, the Wimbledon was. I remember we went seven years ago, and I think so, uh, the irony is that some of the big matches from this tournament were the big matches when we went seven years ago. Yeah, we saw we were live for Nadal versus Del Potro seven years ago, and that Which was that, that was Nadal. To his credit, was in both of the best matches of the tournament. Like I've never like I there ha, he is. There, there have been matches at that level of the Nadal Djokovic and the Nadal Del Potro match, but not in years. Like the last match, I don't even think the Nadal Federer Aussie Open final was at that level of tennis, even though it was like an iconic matchup. Like you have to go back like three years um, for past Nadal Djokovic clashes um, to find a yeah. match at that level. Also, that it seemed to get there are times where they've come out blazing. I would say both both those matchups they've come out blazing in the first two sets and a little bit like really pushing yourself the first half of a marathon, and then they kind of petered out the last two sets. But it felt like not not having watched a lot of the match, but but a lot of the key points that they each set got better and better. The quality of the play got better and better, and. Uh, you know, they, they played some seriously good clay court tennis on grass, particularly Djokovic and Nadal, which is an, which pro- TV probably makes it look a lot easier than it is. Yeah. Uh... Do, do you think that Djokovic, by the way, just speaking of that, should have to share some of his winnings with, with Delpo and Isner for, for tiring <laughs> out their... <laughs> for, tiring uh, out his... his uh, I, don't think, I don't think Nadal was tired. These guys are freaks. I honestly think they could play all day. Um, I I think that um, Anderson maybe the only the only player I've ever seen tired due to the previous match. I mean, this could be an exaggeration, but is but uh, it's Isner after the Mahout match who was like a shell of himself. But I don't think a previous match has ever um impacted Nadal or Djokovic. Yeah, Nadal says if you have a day of rest or if you only play three sets, you should always be if you're a professional, you should always be ready the next day. You don't think there's any mental fatigue? Yeah, the thing sure. the thing Nadal was pissed about was the fact that the roof was closed. Um he thought like it does put him at a huge disadvantage if it's indoors. Like uh he's a much better player outdoors. Um and yeah, that could have been the difference. Like it was ten eight in the fifth. Uh, actually, another thing. Actually, having some people on the inside who had had drinks with this manager a couple hours after uh, the semifinal loss, said that Nadal actually really had to go to the bathroom in the third set tiebreaker. Oh really? And, uh, 
Yeah, at the changeover at six all, like it was really getting to him. He just started. He said, "You know, it's all it's a relative term," but he started rushing a little bit in between points because he really had to go. What what so, number? I mean, if I were Nadal, I would have pissed my pants and just yeah, not given a shit. But if it were a number two, I would have like, yeah, I might have Tour de France did as well. I think it was a one point five, but <laughs> he just just one of those things. He said he drank a little too much during one of the changeovers and, and really had to go. So it's amazing how, how little separates. I mean, I think oh. a lot separates. Let, let's call Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal the top three right now. Do you think a lot separates them from Del Potro, or do you think it's just a point here, you know, maybe a clutch hold there? Like, do you think there's a, still a big gap between those three and the rest, or do you think it's, it's a close, it's a very close one? And just the more experienced winners. So it depends on the surface and it depends on the player. Like, there's a big difference between Nadal and Del Potro on clay. On yeah, grass. let's just let's take the neutral. We'll call let's call hardcore the neutral surface. Yeah, I mean Nadal beat Delpo in the semis last year, but I think Delpo's a better player now than he was at the U.S. Just because he's had another like nine months for his backhand to like improve, and you can see his backhand's better than it was at the U.S. Open, like. Yeah, it's only a couple of points, especially this Wimbledon. Like, like, uh, like a few points going the other way. Like Nadal, the way Nadal described that match, like in his press conference, was that he survived. Like Delpo was hitting huge, and he felt lucky to have survived it. He didn't say like um, Nadal doesn't like defer that way unless he really means it. Yeah, I think um, Delpo is hitting that area that Stan. He's he's basically supplanting Stan as the non-big three or non-big four who can beat the big four. Um, Delpo on just a massive day is a really really hard out for anybody. Um, but I do think though it's like you see all these like really close skin of the teeth matches. Like, Nadal had two break points in the fifth set. Or he, there were two yeah. games of Djokovic's serves. He had double break point twice, but didn't pull it through. But you just sort of had the sense, like, the entire time that Djokovic was going to win. Or at least I did. And it's just like, same with Delpo and Nadal. It was just like, there, it was really, really even... But for some reason, on the big points, the 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 player who is sort of has the edge, whether it's mental or or whatever it is, can pull it through. And I think that's that's where Del Potro is. He's he's a slight level below the big three because. Um, even though he can play all of them tight pretty much anywhere, he isn't quite there in the big points. Yeah. Like, or do uh, you think he just overachieves? So he takes through whatever formula of excellence he uses, despite not really having a tennis build. Now the serve is huge, forehand is huge, but like, not a great volley or not a great back end. Do you think he just overachieves so somehow he makes a match closer than it should be? And so what may appear to be, you know, not 
being able to fully dial it up on the big points, just the fact that he's getting himself to those big points in the first place is like a, a tour de force for him. It's all about who you're playing against, right? Like, Nadal could dial it up against Del Potro for those big points, yeah. but for Djokovic, he, he didn't quite have it. And that's the separator when you're really, really in the throes of deep Grand Slam sets is just who can really dial it up, like who who can put everything together in those points that are like the closing points. Yeah, like um, there was one um, one of Nadal's break points in the fifth set. It was like a 10 or 15 shot rally that uh, Nadal did everything right and Djokovic just uh, kept hitting the ball cleanly and then uh, ended it with a drop shot that was perfectly hit. Yeah, and it's just like you, you could just tell that um, in the at that point in the, third, in the third at the moment of truth, Djokovic just believed in his abilities more than Nadal believed in his abilities. Like there were a lot of shank forehands in the fifth set by Nadal. Yeah, I think open, open, right? and I think some of it is just you get the really the best out of people at like crunch time and i like to think about it like squash where it's it's pretty amazing how how often a game between like a player who's ranked 10th and a player who's ranked 45th will go to nine all and then the player who's ranked 10th will win the game um it's just you can get to the precipice but then it's the business end and then it's really game time and you know and and you, you see yeah. what's what. The, and in tennis, the difference between like being close to winning and actually winning is just like, yeah. it's as much yeah. a mental hurdle as a physical one, I think. They've been in that scenario a zillion times. So one, one of my observations and uh, was that they both, at least in the fifth set, and I think even in the third set tiebreaker, tie could just dial up like three, four really good first serves in a row when they got themselves in that pitch. I mean, you talk about the game let's call it four all or five all where Djokovic was down 40, 15, 40. And then he got four, four, three or four big first serves in a row. Next left there, like four of his best serves of the whole match in consecutive order. So do you feel something that they hold back a little bit until they have no choice? And do you think maybe that's an area of that, that could be uh, addressed or improved upon? Or do you think that's again, the best bringing out the best when they because I think four for their own like why didn't he do that you know why didn't he just whatever he's doing whether it's going full or, or going to the forehand side like why not just die up at the beginning yeah does that make sense yeah that makes sense like why don't I think you sort of need to feel your way into a match or is that just what is that just what the stars do it's just when they literally have no choice but to hit a perfect first serve that's when they hit the perfect first serve i think it's just it's this it's the same reason why you can be more productive the night before a paper is due than like five nights before a paper yeah, yeah. it's just fear like of losing pressure yeah when the adrenaline is up and you know you need like necessity is the mother of invention or whatever the saying is yeah. when you know you need it that's when you can actually um 
that's when you can actually like bring the goods. Yeah. Um, Oh, well, so do you think, do you think that, do you think to them should be more confident now that like maybe we're back where we were five, six years ago where these two just start duking it out and three, every four major finals that now the road to, to, to the trophy goes to, or do you think it was, this was a great chance for kind of rivalry to be kicked into another gear and it puts them in like a winner's a possible winner circle of like four or five, five players surface. Yeah. So are you talking about like the U S open coming up? I think that's well, probably just like Nadal hadn't had a great Wimbledon results the last couple times he played and now yeah. he was very close to winning the whole thing. Djokovic did, um, you know, they both look very good in the French and, and pretty good in the, in the warm ups for that. Like, do you think, do you think these two are now back to that kind of, like they're, they're the two marquee players again? I think Federer, you still, you still have to count Federer, even though um, he did lose a little early. He had match point against Anderson in the quarterfinals and then lost that match. Um, yeah, in his press conference, he sort of was just like, uh, yeah, he said he, I let, he let the third set go away, but after that... Uh, he credited Anderson for raising his level. Um, but, I mean, Federer can still beat Nadal or Djokovic on his day. Um, and then I think Del Potro is actually, like, I think there are four legit contend- contenders for the U.S. Open. And then when Murray gets healthy for the Aussie Open, hopefully, uh, there will be five legit contenders. But, yeah, none of the other guys, um, I wouldn't put any of the other guys in contender status. And I guess we can add Chilich in there um, because he's shown that he can win. Um, but he's a distant sixth. What, what do you think, Peter? I think that, um, yeah, Murray's a wild card. I think the four you mentioned before him are legit contenders. I think when Chilich has had his real results, it's been when at least two of those four have been injured or out. I don't see Chilich um, getting the, tr- the the trophy over all of them. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know. You've seen a rise in, in, like, young talent, supposedly, over the past two years, right? But the last seven majors have been... Federer, Nadal, Federer, Nadal, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. And it's like, there are still only really three contenders um, when the matches matter. And that even that doesn't even really do justice to Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic because for, for a lot of those majors, not all of them have been playing. It's been either yeah. of the three or one of the three. And it's just like... Um, like those are the guys. Those guys are the ones who are that next level of talent above everybody else. And um, Del Potro is the one who doesn't have quite as lopsided a head-to-head against them as the others do, and can raise his game on any given day. But then nobody has a chance. And the other thing about Del Potro is like it was evidenced in the U.S. Open last year. He can beat one of them, but uh, beating like three of them in a row, he just might not have the fitness level for doing, like, he beat Federer in five, 
and then just didn't have it past like the third set against Nadal in the semifinals. No, it's good. He came back from two sets of love against Dino. I mean, he had to give everything he had just to come back against him, I think. Yeah, Didn't but he? like no, Del Potro needs like the benefit of a draw of only playing one of these guys. Um, but he can beat. But he his Del Potro at his best can beat um, any of the three of them at like ninety five percent. So speaking of young talent, do you, do you feel like the, the U.S. even though it's a bit of a revolving door, you never know like which two or three guys are going to make the round of sixteen, and maybe same with France. And of course, Russia. I mean, I don't know who was the other guy we saw in doubles. Peter, it was uh, Kashnikov or R- Rublev and Kashinov. Yeah, and, that, and maybe Rublev has been hurt. But do you feel like all three of those countries have like at least two people, two or three that are like legit top, you know, round of sixteen contenders in all, in all the all the big tournaments? And if so, you know, do you think, regardless of which two or three it is, that those are countries on the on the up and up, even though there's some aging stars as well. No, I do think they all have round of 16 contenders. Like, we saw, um, like, the young guys have been making the round of 16. Like, we saw Sitsipas in the round of 16. We saw Dimonor in the mount, round of 16. Um, I mean, Rublev is coming off an injury, and um, he's actually in the UMAG um, first round. I guess he got a bye to the second round. And what an interesting match there is going to be um, if Felix... Ogier Aliasim wins the 17-year-old phenom. Uh, he'll get to play Rublev, and we'll get to see. We'll get to see maybe a future match there. But it's, that's a that's a side point. The I think the U.S. has some good young talent. The um, Russia does, but like we're still waiting to see if any of this is really transcendent talent. And the bigger question is what is round of 16 really mean like do we care are these guys future top five or are they future top 15 there's a huge difference yeah yeah i think it's more from the inside looking out do you think they see that as like hey this is like a key stepping stone uh yeah i may not you know beat beat uh, a 10 time grand slam winner in, in the round of 16 or the quarters but, but I'm winning some matches I'm not necessarily supposed to win, and, like, I'm in the conversation. I'm getting to see what second-week tennis is like. And, you know, sim- uh, Nadal, and, I mean, these, these three have won, what, 50 grand slams between them. So they're just, they're just so far, you know, even out, out, outliers of outliers. But for, for most of the mere mortals, like, that's where most of them started in their early 20s getting to that point and then they waited for their window of opportunity and took advantage so so here's here's another here's a question i have um is the next u.s men's singles grand slam champion uh currently playing atp tennis i would think so but who who uh, and if so who do you think I mean, if you listen to Agassi, he said he said it's um, who's who's the guy who made the the round of thirty two? TFO. He says it's TFO or some guy whose last name starts with O. Yeah, yeah, TFO. And then there's Opekna or something like that. Opelka. Yeah, he says it's one of those two. I mean, I don't know if he's such a great read of talent anymore, based on the fact that he <laughs> broke up with Djokovic right when the guy was about to take off. Dude, but. he really fucked up because he would be getting all the props for this Wimbledon <laughs> win if 
if he had just stayed up. <laughs> Dude, I, I don't think that uh, there's a chance that Djokovic might not have revived himself if Agassi were his coach, because that would mean that Marion Vito would have less of a role in just amping the shit out of Djokovic's like adrenaline. Like, yeah. Yeah, you knew Joker was back all the way when he started roaring. Yeah, you knew Joker was back all the way when he started beating his racket against the side of his leg like <laughs> multiple times in a row. Um, you knew Djokovic's camp was back when Marion Vita was just like looking as just like evil as all as ever in his box with like a lot of like he was. Marion Vita is just a lot of the coaches are stoic. He's pumped up, and um, then Djokovic's wife was like, I think Zach was the one who uh, sent that in the third set. It's unclear if Djokovic wins that if his wife weren't going berserk after every single rally. Um, I feel like there's a lot of mojo back in that camp, and yeah. I don't know if Agassi would have would have contributed to that mojo. Yeah. Um, so back to the U.S. Uh, Grand Slam champions question. Uh, so are you saying Isner is not the next U.S. Grand Slam ch- champion? Well, I, I I think that he'll do everything in his power. I mean, he he'd just have to be in. A, he'd have to get some injury. There would have to be some of the top. If like two or three of the top five didn't play, he could steal a Wimbledon. I mean, he wasn't that far away this year. I mean, I don't think he would have won the final against either of those two. But if somehow. Dude, I think nobody beats Isner the way he played in Miami. He played, he he pounded Chung, and then he beat Delpo, and then he beat Zverev. So if he, I mean, two out of, I mean, Peter and I, I think, both agree that he's like a really impressive overachiever, and if chips fall his way, he won't beat himself. He doesn't seem to get too nervous one way or the other. Yeah. 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 I'm a, I'm a Nadal fan, and I think it says something that I was uh, if we were all saying that if uh, Isner beat Anderson, that would be a much tougher matchup. Just because, like, if his serve is on, there's nothing you can do, and then anything can happen in a tiebreak. I don't think Isner wins a Grand Slam. Like, I think this was his best shot. He, um, I think that. Tiafo is the only American playing right now who has hope. And I think Tiafo's hope is that there's a dark ages um, like in the next four or five years with Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer and Murray all retiring. And um, similarly talented people not surfacing for another decade. Like, I feel like, uh, like Tiafo's good, but he's not that good. And so he would need a little help from like, just who else is around him to, to pull it through. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I think like, Fritz is also... slams are different. Like somebody can squeak out a, uh, a dark horse masters 1000, even the year end tournament, you can squeak it out. But, like the top dogs really peak for grand slams, and those are just different. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not even. I'm not even sure American tennis players even evaluate like 
you know, having a big career based on whether or not they win Grand Slam. Because I don't even think it's right. Yeah, it's not. You're right, right? Like right now, it's not really in the realm of possibility. But if they win, if we win two of the Masters 1000s and maybe make, you know, two of our players make the semis, we consider that like a Grand Slam year. Like Isner will tell tell all of his friends who don't know that much about tennis that he won a Grand Slam this year in Miami. (laughs) And they'll leave it at that. I think uh, in the last calendar year, Sock and Isner have both won Masters (laughs) 1000. Yeah, I think uh, I think what you you brought up a like interesting point about how players evaluate um, their own careers. Uh, I saw an interview with Steve Johnson saying like uh, he, he was asked something like, "Do you think your career has been a success?" And he was like, uh, "Or what what needs to happen for your to consider your career a success?" And he's like, "I think it's already one. I think I've really maximized my talent, and that's all you can ask for as an athlete." Um, but then there's like Milos Raonic writing op-eds about how if he's never a number one, he feels like he, he hasn't, he'll never have like uh, um, done what he came what there he to become, do. What if he becomes number one in North America? Isn't that good enough? <laughs> he's already been number one in North America. <laughs> okay, then he's achieved it. It's good enough. He's number one in his continent. I mean, I think that's, that's like we're getting greedy. You know, yeah. If we're going to try to cover all, all the continents, but if we can get our own, or just in the hemisphere, even then, then he's done well for himself. So yeah, yeah, he just needs to study his geography a little bit more realistically. <laughs> yeah, I think it's all that hair gel um, clouding, like his, like his frontal lobes, like seeping into his frontal lobes through his through his pores. So if we if we go if we go back to the January conversation we had, I don't even know if we can remember any of them. But if we look at some of the stocking stuffers that we gave, do you feel like some of the players have used their stocking stuffers pretty well? Or whatever it was, their gift and their stocking stuffers. And there's some who to go back um, to the stocking and, 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 and remember what was there. So I remember we gave uh, Jill's Mueller Rogaine, and it doesn't seem like he's used it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we gave... Um, there were a few that were funny. Uh, I remember hair gel was one for um, hair gel remover was for Rayanich. Um, I remember uh, Batista was a celebrity <laughs> girlfriend. Yeah, and and uh, didn't we give Jack Sock a couple extra names? I don't think that's worked out too well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nothing has worked out well. Although he did win Wimbledon doubles. For the second time, isn't it? Yeah, with Mike Bryan. That's a good duo. It's also a big win for Mike Bryan because now he'll forever have one more Grand Slam than his brother and will. But I think Sock Sock won Wimbledon before, too, with the Canadian dude. Yeah, with Vasek Pospisil. So he's done, then. He's done for the year. He's got, last year he won some some big tournament. He's got a doubles (laughs) Grand Slam. I mean, he might as well just start... Firing up the grill right now, dude. There, Jack Sock has no problem firing up the grill. <laughs> but the um, but I I wonder if this is the turnaround. I wonder if this is an oh you can't be you can't be playing badly and win doubles a doubles Grand Slam. 
You just got to get out of the way with the. Pro I mean, yeah, it's true. It's true. Although, although, didn't Ryan Harrison win a Grand Slam also in doubles with somebody I've never, probably somebody Michael never Venus? Done. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what happens there. Maybe some people <laughs> get really. Some of the really good teams just sort of like they they don't feel like renewing their hotel reservation or they just get caught up at the casinos doubles i think is the most i mean we should actually try to predict the doubles tournament and we can get like 30 percent of the matches right <laughs> yeah <done>. <laughs> yeah um okay so before we i guess sign off let's uh make some hardcore season predictions um so who do you think's gonna win uh canada cincinnati and then the u.s open well let's not leave out dc yeah, so yeah, like the U.S. Open series. Who do you think is going to be like the standout, and then the U.S. Open itself? Well, who's done well in that in the past? And let's see if if we feel like you know they're gonna they're gonna hold form. I guess what Isner usually does really well, and Anderson usually does pretty well. And Delpo and Nishikori do really well. So I also wonder how many normal. tournaments Federer plays. Like, I think he plays like either one of Canada and Cincinnati and then the U.S. Open. Well, do you think that those, uh, the, the ones who like, let's take Delpo, Anderson, Isner, Kashnikov, uh, uh, whatever, Syriapis or whatever his name is, do you think those guys will continue their momentum into the hard courts? Do you think it's hit the reset button and, you know, the momentum doesn't necessarily carry over. I think Sitsipas is for real. Yeah, I do too. So, my predictions for the coming um, months are I predict a um, I mean, this isn't even a prediction, really. This is just a fact. This is going to happen. That after the U.S. Open, Nadal, Nadal and Federer both just totally chill. Um, Nadal might play one or two tournaments, probably one tournament, and then the year-end final. Federer might not play any. And um, the uh, I predict, then my second prediction is that Djokovic will win the U.S. Open as well. And he will win one of either Cincinnati and um, and uh, Canada, and he will finish the year year end number two behind Jack Sock, <laughs> behind Nadal. <laughs> Phil, yeah, um, I think uh, Delpo and uh, Djokovic will be the finalists in the U.S. Open. Uh, I don't think Sverev will repeat in uh, Canada, so I think he'll drop out of the top five. Uh, actually, he might not drop out of the top five. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, I also think I, I, I sort of think Federer is. Uh, this is a big, big uh, thing to say. I think he's done winning Grand Slams. I think Wimbledon was his last chance because Djokovic is back and Djokovic is just better than him. And he's just sort of been looking older and older every tournament he's played. I think that the uh, Aussie Open this coming year is 
Aussie Open and maybe Wimbledon next year. But I, I sort of agree because he just looked old a few times too many. Yeah, especially in the Hell Final against Chorich. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm taking it all in. I think I think they still book. I think Nadal's got like three or four left in him. Uh, He's got three more Frenches at least. Yeah. And I think that he wants that Cincinnati tournament because I don't think he's won it before. So I'm going to actually go out on a limb and say he's going to max, really try to... I think that Joker will win Montreal. So and Joker is actually the one who's never won Cincinnati. It's like sort of an underground fact. That's the only Masters won. 1000 he's never won. I don't know if Nadal's won it either. No, Nadal yeah, has won it. Nadal's never won are Shanghai and Miami. Yeah, and, oh, okay. and Paris and uh, the year-end. Like Nadal has a bunch of hardcore ones to win, so but flop. Joker has Joker. one more Masters one thousand to have won them all, which actually might be the greatest achievement in tennis history if that happens, even though it's not Grand Slams. Let me tell you, those guys—they're not giving up much. I think they'll probably those three will go all in, like you say, until until second week of September, uh, because they're all playing pretty well. Not perfect, but I don't. I feel like there's there's much more upside with all three of them than than down. You know, an offset or off point here or there, but they're they're all on the doorstep still of winning every Grand Slam. And then uh, and then the young guys are gonna have to step it up. Like I think they felt like there was it was their turn, and that the older guys would kind of more willingly pass the torch. And they're seeing like they they're not giving them an inch. At least not much. So you know, it'll be interesting to see what, how those six or seven guys who have had good successes in like two, three tournaments a year, like whether or not they, uh, you know, they 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 can pull off some big upsets at on the big stage. Yeah, I mean, Goffin has not on the big stage. Kyrgios is not. Korich is not. I'm, who am I leaving out of that? Team really hasn't had a lot of big upsets on the big stage, and and they need those. So it's happy in the French, but that's it. Zverev has had zero. I think Zverev is is the interesting one because he's going to be exposed a little bit um, now that now that Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Delpo, and maybe Murray are all healthy. Um, he's just not as good as any of those guys. And so he'll have to like drop out of the top five for a little bit. Yeah. So my, my last, my last question is we get on the court with the Bryans against the 40th ranked doubles team in the world. We just, we maybe each of us take turns for like five, six games. Can we win one game? Yes. Because My like is yes too. We can get one, I think, at least. Because uh, at the moment, all three of us um, are higher quality tennis players than Jack Sock, and he won Wimbledon. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, so you're up in the ante. You think we can grab a set? No, we could win Wimbledon. <laughs> I'm going to head to the practice court first thing in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
All right. Well, that about wraps up our Wimbledon recap. Um, everybody, to our millions of listeners, um, I expect there to be uh, actually a couple million listeners for this podcast because just like everyone who showed up to the Champs-Élysées is probably going to listen <laughs> because they'll be so excited to hear about what we say about Djokovic. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You just got to make sure you tag the podcast with that. We'll have a huge following in France in no time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. And until next time, um, see you later. <laughs>